Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Jacobs today. Sam is the founder over at Revenue Collective, the premier private membership for revenue leaders at high growth companies. He's also the host of the Sales Hacker podcast. He's a career CRO with over 20 years of experience in the New York venture-backed technology space. Sam, a very warm welcome. Good to have you on the show. Good to have a fellow Sam. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool, man. Looking forward to chatting today. Um, so I think the focus today, Sam, is going to be on how money is actually made. Um, and a bit of controversial one for everyone tuning in, watching or listening, that it's not actually via the sales department. So looking forward to chatting through that. But before we get into this spicy topic, my friend, um, for anyone that does know, does not know Sam Jacobs, could you please give us a quick snapshot into yourself and uh, a bit of background on, on your good self, please, Sam? Sure. Well, uh, again, like you said, uh, nice to see another Sam uh, out there in the world. Uh, <laughs> uh, my my back. I'm the founder of an organization called Revenue Collective. Revenue Collective, as you said, is a private membership association for uh, revenue operators, so leaders of sales, marketing, customer success, and operations, primarily but not exclusively at high growth companies. We're all over the world. We're about 3,100 people all over the world. And um, so that's what I do during the day. Uh, uh, I also host the Sales Hacker podcast in association with the media organization Sales Hacker. I live in New York City. That's where I'm broadcasting from right now. I've got two elderly dogs that I take care of. And um, I've been here for 20 years. And before that, I grew up overseas, but home base was the Washington, D.C. area. So that's a little bit about me. Top man. Good to hear. Good to hear your fellow dog lover. Uh, to, to keep you nice and busy. Cool. So let's jump in straight into it, Sam. Um, let's talk about how money is actually made and why it's not via sales. So first of all, what does that actually mean? Because as far as I know, it, we've got we've got to sell to, to get revenue over the line or, or am I away off the mark here? No, I, I don't think you're off the mark. Uh, when I say uh, money is not made by the sales team, I guess what I mean is it's not made exclusively by the sales team. And I think there's a misconception uh, out there in the world that uh, the way that companies that really, and again, for people that know me, I'm just talking my book here, but um, that that hiring salespeople and, and adding more sales capacity to your company is the mechanism by which revenue grows. And that's not, again, that's not how money is made. So how is money made? Money is made first and foremost with an incredible product that people love. And guess some of this sounds fairly straightforward, but I think that there's. Uh, I think that the fact that people have misunderstood, in my opinion, uh, the, how revenue is, is fundamentally generated has led to you know overinvestment in sales team versus the marketing organization. It's led to increased burn for venture backed businesses, and it's led to uh, frankly high turnover with the revenue leadership at high growth companies, where the average tenure is under 17 months. And that's because people assume that the way that you make money is you hire a very expensive sales leader, they hire a lot of people on the sales team, and uh, and then those people produce revenue. And in fact, uh, you can't produce any revenue uh, if you don't have a good product and you don't have meetings 
to talk about that product with potential customers. And you don't have meetings unless they have awareness and interest in what you're doing. And so very straightforwardly, with you know, the best reps with no meetings, but a perfect sales process will get fired. And a mediocre sales rep with lots and lots of meetings, but an average process that maybe doesn't even know how to close very well, will ultimately end up making the company money. So how does that work? The, the atomic unit of money and revenue generation is a meeting. And so how do you get a meeting with a customer? How do you get a phone call? How do you get a lead, right? How do you get interest? And that is, that is a team sport, as I said. It's a function of the product being amazing and people telling their friends, the marketing organization creating awareness and interest and creating fundamentally pipeline, uh, however you get pipeline, but the pipeline is the set of meetings that you've, that sure. you've scheduled. And then the sales team converts those meetings into revenue. But that is a that is a supply chain, and it is not just one team's responsibility. Got it. So let's break that down into a bit more detail, Sam. Um, so we're talking about which which I I love being a digital marketer, stroke um, sales professional. I love the fact that we're not holding it all the blame on on sales because I know because I take the brunt of it. Even though I'm part owner, whenever things go tits up, whenever sales aren't as high as they should be, the rest of the team are coming in on me like a ton of bricks, saying, "Sam, what the heck's going on? All these leads have come in. Why haven't you closed them?" So uh, I'm at the brunt of it, and I know exactly how it feels for anyone else tuning in that has a revenue target above their head. Um, so I love the fact that you said, "Look, there's there's a split a split to it." Um, now, starting with an incredible product, so that I guess that's that's a no-brainer really that um, companies need to have a decent product that there's actually demand for, um, that people actually want. Well, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, decent's probably, it depends. You know, my again, my background is uh, kind of, you know, startups, right? So with okay. venture-backed companies that are looking to grow very quickly, venture capital-backed, and even if they're not venture capital-backed there, again, that's why we don't define our the world of Revenue Collective as, uh, venture-backed companies, where we define it as high growth. Most companies want high growth, so uh, it's a pro it's a broad umbrella. But the point is that uh, decent product uh, is actually, from my perspective, especially at an early stage, not sufficient. That is insufficient, right? Because you need better than decent, because of the fact that you've got to look at uh, again thinking about how how companies grow profitably, how they grow sustainably. Uh, you need a great product. And the reason you need a great product is because it's going to be expensive to get people's attention. You know, AIDA, Awareness, Interest, Decision, Action. Uh, it's going to be expensive, more expensive to get people's attention if it's only decent versus great. Because if it's great, then people will tell their friends. And then you'll get leads when you don't have to spend a ton of money on sales and marketing. That's how you uh, scale a great company is that the fundamental, the, the product itself is the thing that drives growth. And then from there, you layer on sales and marketing to continue. That. In, in your opinion, Sam, what determines uh, an average product from an incredible one? Is it based on research? Is it based on asking customers or is it something uh, else? It's based on uh, money, <laughs> math. That's what is, that's what, how I would determine it that you're looking for signals of product market fit. And some of those, some of the time that's hard to decipher, but if you have a little bit of momentum, you can look at the math and the math is uh, how much money are you paying your, you know, for customer acquisition costs, CAC, as we call it, right? How much right. are you spending on to acquire the customer versus how much they're paying you and how long they stick around. And so, you know, all of those financial metrics I, again, I say this a lot. Um, so, you know, fans of mine, <laughs> which is like mainly my mother, uh, will, will recognize this talk track. But the point is that 
the the math, the finance, the spreadsheets, right? Like there's this sort of this dichotomy in the world where I come from, where people feel like the spreadsheets are the province of the finance department and not the province of the entire company. And what I mean by that is that the numbers are a separate world from the emotional feeling that you get from using the product. But the numbers on the spreadsheet reflect emotions. They reflect human behavior. So the point is, um, if people are, if you're spending a ton of money and uh, and you're not and they're not paying you enough to so that you can be paid back from that money in a reasonable amount of time. And more importantly, if they're leaving, right? If they're churning a sure. business, that's how you know it's not a very good product. Correspondingly, right? The way that you know you're onto something is if you're not spending very much money, and yet somehow people are knocking on your door asking to be customers. Because how does that happen, right? What what, what is the process, the mechanism by which you don't spend money, but people find you and want to be your customer and give you money. Well, the mechanism is the few customers that you do have are telling their friends, right? There, there are people talking about your product or you are talking about your product on a free platform like LinkedIn and, you're, and, and you've tapped into some kind of zeitgeist that people want to reach out to you even when you haven't spent a ton of money. That's how you know. Like The definition of a great product, for my opinion, is what is the payback period, to be honest. Makes sense. Makes sense. And that, that's a great point that you raised about getting that inbound awareness when you're not really actively marketing it. So that's that's always going to be a, a bonus. So let's let's pretend we've, we've got an incredible product and it's ready to go to market. And looking at the, the team side of things, going back to that and um, how the revenue side of things is a team sport. So we're saying let's say we're, we're a very, very small startup, Sam. We've perhaps only got, I don't know, three or four members of our team. We've got a sales rep. We've got maybe a techie that's developed this, this, let's say, a software as a service product. It could be a training piece of software. It could be a CRM piece of software. It doesn't matter too much. Um, we've got a techie. Maybe we've got a general manager um, and we've got um, an account manager, someone that's going to be liaising with the clients. Is it an equal spread? Is it 25% of responsibility throughout the organization there in terms of the revenue? Is that is that a right assumption? Um, I, what I should have said is we've got one marketer. I forgot that. So maybe a, right, yeah, a marketer in there as well. There. <laughs> Definitely need a marketer, that's for sure. Uh, you know, I don't know about like the allocation of specific responsibility by percentages, but for example, um, like here's a here's an example of what I mean as it relates to how money is made. Um, most chief revenue officers or VPs of sales are paid structurally the same way an account executive is paid, right? So they are paid 50% of their OTE, which is on-target earnings. They're paid 50% as base salary, right? And then they're paid 50% as quote unquote commission, right? Commission often paid uh, most of the time quarterly, right? So, so you've got an executive, right? And the purpose, and again, like thinking about the supply chain of how money is made, how revenue is generated, how value is created. It starts, if you have a shitty product, a terrible product, yes, you can try and beat some people over the head to sell it. They're not gonna stick around very long, right? And if you have a great sales team, but no pipeline and no meetings, uh, however you get those meetings, whether through sales development or business development or through a marketing organization generating inbound, but whatever the mechanism, if you have no meetings, you can't make money. So the, the act of making the money is, is again, a team sport. Now, how is it? Is it 50-50-50 or 25-25-25 across four entities? I, I don't know the percentage. What I can tell you is that one of the broken things, in my opinion, is that a chief revenue officer is paid like an account executive. And the chief revenue officer is sort of treated as if as if they need to be, the, their behavior should be short-term focused on every quarter. If they make the quarter 
against a target that they may or may not have had a hand in creating, then they get their money. And if they don't, then they get a dramatic haircut on their money. And that, um, I don't feel like that's, I mean, I know that that's not how people make effective, good long-term decisions. So when you're thinking about how do you pay the executive team, in my opinion, my opinion is that the entire executive team is paid the same way, which is that everybody has a base salary that they can live off of, that they're not you know, scrambling to pay their mortgage or their rent on or pay for groceries. And then everybody has an annual bonus for the company hitting its targets. And those targets might be, you know, in a venture-backed business, probably revenue targets. In a different business, maybe margin targets or profitability targets. But that's sort of an example of what I mean, right? That the sure. existing status quo assumes that, like, you just need a bunch of kind of, like, cash-hungry people. And you just point them in a direction and they gobble up the, the sales. And if they don't get it in the right way, then you fire them. And if they do get it in the right way, you pay them a lot, but then you raise the target the next quarter, maybe then you fire them. And I'm saying that like, that's not actually how it works. And that's creates perverse incentives that are not helpful to helping a company grow. Got it. Um, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball in the mix and you've just raised an interesting point. So if we've got sales professionals, like you said, they might have a basic and they might have a monthly commission or a quarterly commission target. Um, if we're a business owner, we might just work off a base and then at the end of the year, we might take direct uh, dividends. Um, with marketers, as, as like you say, they're going to be generating or responsible for generating quite a chunk of the inbound opportunities to then feed the sales team demo requests or lead requests or consultant requests, depending on how we work. Um, do you think that marketers should have their own targets and then should be working to, to commissions on, on that sense? As in, you help our sales team generate this many leads you get this commission, generate the X many leads, you'll get this commission, Y many leads, you get this commission. Do you think that's something that should be put into place? I do not. I think that mark that marketing executives and sales executives should be paid on the same thing, which is revenue, whatever the target is, whatever mm. the goal is of the company that you're trying to hit. I think the revenue organization should be paid the same way. I think individual marketers should not be paid on commission. I think they should be paid again, a good base salary. Uh, and, but I think, and then I think specifically, again, you know, there's a tension right now. There is a trend and the trend is towards uh, paying marketers and salespeople against revenue targets. I would say one step away from that trend might be to pay marketers on qualified pipeline. There, yep. you know, there are two perspectives. Uh, one perspective is, no, no, no. Marketers should be paid on marketing qualified leads or on leads because that's the thing that they have under their control and salespeople should be paid on closed revenue. But again, I think that, and, and there are lots of people, right? Lots of people that say the tension, that fight that happens between marketing and sales is very healthy for the organization. I don't have a, my sense is, my sense is it's probably not that healthy, but I don't know. Uh, and my sense is again, that everybody needs to be organized around the, the, the goal line and the goal line is profitable revenue generation. So, um, so that's what I think. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's move this, the conversation a little bit towards, um, community. Cause I know, um, revenue collective and the, the mission there is, is all geared towards community and that incentive. So is community important right now, especially of what's, what's going on, um, in terms of pandemic and things around us, is, is that something that's important both for, for sales marketers and, and business owners in general, Sam, if so, why? It's important for every single professional, uh, more important than it's ever been. Why is that? Because the scaffolding and the infrastructure and support that companies have historically provided is no longer there, especially in the United States where the average, as I mentioned, the average tenure at high growth companies for executives, executives is 17 months. 
right? And the people below them are changing jobs uh, even more often. And it's not even just for salespeople, right? The labor market has never been more fluid, particularly now with COVID, where people from all over the world can get a job anywhere in the world and where there have been layoffs and where there have been other companies that are doing well. The point is that in the year 2020, if we all want to have a career, right? And this is a word and a, an emphasis I, I use a lot, a career, right? So a career is 20 years, 30 years. The end of the career, hopefully, right? The point of it is, You've got savings, right? You've created wealth. You sure. feel like you've made an impact on the world. You've achieved things. And personally, you've achieved or fulfilled whatever you think your, your potential is, right? You feel like uh, whatever great is inside of you has been brought out and has been uh, materialized and articulated, right? So, so all of that is a lot. And um, in the old days, uh, when average tenure was higher and when there wasn't as much fluidity in the labor market, you could rely maybe on the companies or more on the companies to provide professional development, to provide resources, to train you, to be a place where you could work for maybe 10 years. In this modern world, that's no longer possible. And so there needs to be some kind of infrastructure, some kind of mechanism or support where, um, where people can stitch together a career, right? Where they, they can access all of the jobs that they know are out there. They can receive mentorship and coaching. They can, um, they can uh, connect with peers on challenges that they're facing. All of these things are very difficult to do. And without a community, they're nearly impossible. And so, I, again, the world is changing more quickly than it ever has, while there is less stability in all of our personal lives than there ever has been. And as a consequence, there needs to be something, and I think community is that thing. Community is if we're not, if there's no structure that exists outside of us, then we will come together and provide the structure back to ourselves, so that we can help and support each other through the ups and downs. And I can tell you again that, especially in COVID, it's necessary not even just for like the professional reasons, but for the, but for the loneliness reasons, right? For the fact that like we're all at home, and as much as we love our families, we need. And yes, even though there's Zoom fatigue and all of that, like we need places to go where we can talk about things other than other than family stuff. We need to be able to talk about work stuff with people that we don't work for or with so that we can have a more open, honest conversation. And I guess it gives you another point of view, because I suppose if you're talking to people that are already in your organization, then they might be under similar opinions or they might have an agenda and things like that. So is this about talking um, to people from different companies, different organizations, Sam, and getting their point of view on perhaps issues you're having in your business? Is it all business related in terms of revenue and things like that? Or is it is a bit more specific? Well, no, it's it's what you said. I think there's, there's a variety of different things. I mean, fundamentally, it's about A, uh, you know, and the thing that happens most of the time is solving challenges that you haven't encountered before or where you just want more than one data point. Right. And you want more than one data point quickly. And you also want to know that there's a vetted that the person you're talking to isn't isn't random. Right. That that they've been screened in some way, that they have some credible or relevant experience that's helpful and that you can get that answer quickly. So how many people have opened an office in Berlin before or Montreal or how many people have compensated their SDRs on uh, meetings held versus some point system that you might create. Has anybody built a customer journey lifecycle map before? Those are all questions that come up over the course of a day. You can think of the answers on your own. You're probably a smart person. The answer you come up with is probably going to be related to you know the quote unquote right answer. But wouldn't it be nice to have three, four, five people weigh in that have done that, been there, done that, 
that can share their insights and perspectives. So that's one big chunk of things. And those conversations and questions are really kind of tactical in nature and related to work. Meanwhile, there's a whole set of other questions about who you are as a human being at work. And again, maybe you're a person of color. Maybe you are, uh, you know, you don't, maybe you're non-binary. Maybe you're a woman and you want a safe space to talk about work stuff, but work stuff as it relates to your identity, because there aren't a million places to go to have an open, honest conversation about what it's like to be a woman in the workforce. And so that's another need that community fills, which is some integration of your personal life and your professional life. And then, of course, there's when uh, when you hit, you know, the, the, the real speed bumps, right, when you're when you're fired. Uh, when you're evaluating uh, new opportunities, when you're trying to figure out what should you make and how should how much money should you make and how should you negotiate. And so all of those things are things that a trusted community can come together and help provide. And are these are the are the communities something that we can actively put together ourselves or should we look for, for organizations like yourself, Sam? Um, well, I, I guess there's a few options. Yeah. Feel free to I mean, plug if you need. You know, I think that the bigger question is, you know, of course, people can do it yourself. Obviously, the benefit to something like Revenue Collective is uh, that it's global, right? That we have a structure that we've thought through all of this before. So you can do it on your own or you can do it with somebody that's been there, done that, and that has created an infrastructure and a process and a mechanism that makes it very, very easy. And it makes not just getting help easy, but it makes giving easy because so many people say, I want to give back. I want to mentor people, but there's no structure for it. I don't know how to do it or where to start. And we make it so that you can just plug in and all of those things are at your fingertips. But I think the bigger distinction is actually between free and paid communities. Uh, and, And I think some people assume that community should be free and some people understand why it might not be. But that's, I think, perhaps a a slightly more interesting conversation because what's not obvious, I think, to a lot of people is that uh, free communities are are fundamentally compromised at their core, uh, especially if they seek to grow. Because uh, if the members are not paying something, but but there is the desire of the owners or builders of the community to generate money, well then, then the members are the product, right, definitionally. If, if you're not getting money from them, then you're going to get money from somebody. And the thing that somebody will want is access to your members in some way, shape, or form. So it'll end up being a job board. It'll end up being sponsors. It'll end up being advertisers. Those advertisers and sponsors will be paying, uh, as you know, as as we as we've been talking about around the world. What they will be paying for is there is your promise that through your community you can manipulate the behavior of your members in favor of whatever money they're spending. And so. Um, that's why I think people need to be thinking about how do we create a new structure, a new kind of social media platform, a new professional networking platform where we are the customers, right? Where, where we are explicit, the customer, you know, there's nowhere to call if you have a problem with LinkedIn, right? The, the, the phone number, I couldn't find a phone number and they're not going to give you a phone number because there's a hundred million people or whatever on there and they don't want us calling. We're not the customer, right? The advertisers are the customer, the, the people, you know, buying LinkedIn sales navigator, which is a data scraping and spamming tool. That's the customer. So wouldn't it be nice if there was a network where we were the customer, where the company was building stuff for us explicitly and where you weren't wondering where the other incentives were? And that's why I think a paid community like Revenue Collective is so valuable. And I guess it comes back to that thing when you've put some some money into something, you're more invested into it. Um, so you've actually got, so if, if I was to join, for example, I've put money into it, I'd, I'd be more um, invested, I'd be more committed 
to actually wanting to get something out of it and contribute myself. And I guess it's that age-old age old thing, really. If it's free, then you might take it a bit for granted. Um, yeah, and again, you're the customer, right? Like when you put money into it, you get to have a say, <laughs> you sure. know? We get to have a say in LinkedIn, but they're not really listening. And uh, and especially, you know, and obviously it's even more true in Instagram and Facebook where we're really not the customer. So, yeah, yeah like I think that people sometimes they, they misunder like you again, like I said, it's not just that you're more invested, which is of course true and you're more committed, but it is that you get, you get a vote in a way that you don't get a vote when you're part of something that's free. Awesome. Sam really enjoyed this conversation, my friend. I do like to ask everyone that comes on, if you could recommend just the one digital marketing channel that's going to help businesses grow from today, what would be your choice, sir? Well, uh, what I just said, notwithstanding, in terms of marketing channel, uh, you know, I think LinkedIn's pretty valuable. I think if you have interesting things to say and you have a point of view and a perspective, you don't even have to pay to market on LinkedIn. You can just um, begin to create interesting insights and share those insights with the community. And pretty soon people will be hearing about you and thinking about you. So my, you know, the one that works for Revenue Collective, we don't pay, we don't spend money on paid acquisition. And, uh, and yet LinkedIn is by far the best platform for, for new customers and members for us. Good choice. Good choice. Well, everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing's helped them along the way and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your sales and your business. Sam, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Well, I would think my mother. <laughs> uh, both my parents, I love them both. Uh, my mother's ambassador, Susan Jacobs. She was a U.S. ambassador to Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, and the Solomon Islands. She was also the special advisor for children's issues, uh, which is a position created by Secretary Hillary Clinton. Uh, and she was the first person to occupy that position. And she helped secure and negotiate uh, international adoption treaties and the safety of children all over the world. And now she works for an organization called ISS that is again focused on uh, reuniting uh, parents that are separated from their children uh, cross border, which is again an important issue. So she's just been a, an inspirational figure. She's an incredible, uh, incredible executive. And, uh, you know, she's also my mom. I love her. Awesome. Done some amazing work by the sounds of it. Yeah, she's she's incredible. Fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on, Sam. Please Thanks. do tell us a bit more about how people can learn from you, how people can connect with you, and, and feel free to plug your podcast and, and your business. Sure. Uh, you can find me LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. Uh, if you want to uh, join Revenue Collective, there's never been a better time. We're in the midst of a membership drive that we call Awesome October. You can go to revenuecollective.com and click apply now. And, uh, you know, what, why would you want to do that? You'd want to do that if you want to accelerate your career, if you want access to uh, a community of 3,000 people that are focused on helping you and supporting you grow your career. And if you want uh, a surety that over the next 10 to 20 years, uh, you're going to have a career that you can stitch together that you're going to be proud of so that you can realize uh, your personal potential. Thanks very much, Sam. Thanks for having me, Sam. No worries, dude. And if you enjoyed the show, please do hit subscribe on your podcast channel of choice, be it Apple Podcasts, be it Spotify, be it Stitcher or YouTube, wherever the heck you get your podcast. We interview business leaders each and every week to give the actual tips to grow your sales and digital marketing. Cheers for tuning in. Thanks for having me. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising 
but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.